0: Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
1: Welcome to Family Caregivers Tonight. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain and living in Canada. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show. Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our topic today is advice for family caregivers about organ and tissue donation. So, what is organ and tissue donation? Well, organs are the parts of the body that do the things that living bodies need to do to live. Examples are the heart, the bones, the eyes, and the skin. Organs are made up of tissues, and an example is bone marrow. Tissues are made up of cells. An example is blood is a tissue, and it's made up of blood cells. Now, organs, tissues, and cells can all be transplanted. The benefits are enormous. For example, a donated heart valve repairs heart defects, especially in children. A donated piece of bone gets people moving again and avoids limbs having to be surgically amputated. A donated eye restores sight after disease, injury, or the types of blindness that occur in children. And donated skin covers the burns of seriously burned people. Now, to be transplanted from one person to another, organs, tissues, and cells have to be donated. And to talk about donation and advice for family caregivers, our two guests are Martha Anderson and Dr. Dr. Frank Markel. Now, first of all, I'd like to introduce them both by their bios, Martha Anderson joined the Musculoskeletal Transplant Foundation in 1987 and is Executive Vice President of Donor Services. The foundation provides donated human bone, tendon, ligaments, cartilage, and skin to patients throughout the United States and over 50 other countries. It also provides non-transplantable organs and tissues to scientific researchers and services and software to facilitate the donation and the transplantation of organs, eyes, tissues. Prior to her work at the foundation, she was a patient advocate of a large trauma center in Denver, Colorado, where she worked closely with critically ill patients and their families. Dr. Frank Markell is the president and chief executive officer of the Trillium Gift of Life Network, position he assumed in January 2005. The network is Ontario Canada's organ and tissue procurement agency. And he often says that he has never known a cause as compelling as that of organ and tissue donation. Prior to joining the network, he held various senior positions Health Administration, including Executive Vice President of the Rehabilitation Institute of Toronto, President and CEO of Hillcrest Hospital, and Vice President of Planning and Development at St. Joseph's Health Center in Toronto. He holds a Master's and a Ph.D. in Mathematics from the University of Toronto. So welcome to the show, Martha and Frank. Thank you very much, Dr. Atherley. Thank
2: Thank you. It's very nice to be here.
1: Thank you. Now, I'm going to start with Martha, please, first please tell us more about your work at the foundation and also can you say whether you have personal experience as a family caregiver
3: Uh, sure thank you very much Uh, at the the musculoskeletal transplant foundation or i'll call it mtf just just to be a little quicker Um, i really work on the donation side we work with over thirty different recovery agencies organ procurement organizations eye banks and tissue banks in the united states and in canada and so we work with those agencies and various donor family advocacy groups, hospital staff, all to help coordinate the donation of t- transplantable tissues. And we're specifically involved with tissues like bone, tendons, ligaments, and skin, as you mentioned in your introduction. Okay. Frank, uh,
1: the, sorry, I'm go go just going to interrupt you. I'll come back to you, Martha. Just, I want, to, Frank, just to tell us more about your work at The network and whether you have personal experiences as a family caregiver, and then we'll come back to Martha. Uh,
2: well, thank you, uh, Gordon. Um, uh, first of all, I don't have any uh, personal experience as a family caregiver, although uh, within my family, I certainly have family members who've played that role. Uh, Trillium Gift of Life Network uh, is Ontario's organ and tissue donation agency. We're a, a crown Corporation established by the provincial government. We're responsible for all aspects of organ and tissue donation in the province. So that includes, uh, first of all, trying to increase public awareness about the importance of donation. Uh, but we also manage the cases when we occur when they occur. We have uh, nurses in the major hospitals in the province of Ontario who speak to the families. We keep the waiting lists and we manage the logistics uh, when there is a donor available.
1: Yeah. Going back to Martha, I cut you off before I'd asked you about your personal experience as a family caregiver. That's the first thing. And then I want you also to tell us more about why the foundation MTF was begun and about its purposes and work and whether you've got any statistics.
3: Sure. Um, I, for many, many years, was very lucky and had everybody in my family who was very healthy. Um, I don't have children, and so that sort of sets me a little bit aside from many people. But this past couple of years, I've learned an awful lot about being a family caregiver. My husband has a number of chronic illnesses now, um, and earlier this year went through a major orthopedic procedure. And so I had to very quickly go from becoming just a wife and a working wife at that to becoming a working wife and a nurse and a translator for the surgeons and the driver and the physical therapist and all of those things that go into that. So I have uh, a great deal of appreciation, even more than I ever have had before, with for uh, caregivers who are especially taking care of someone who's ill.
1: Thank you. Now, the foundation, why was it begun?
3: Yes, that's a great story. I think it's a great story. We were started in 1987 by a group of orthopedic surgeons. And back in the 80s, donation was just beginning to be organized in the United States. And tissue donation was something that was really not very well organized. Um, There were little small tissue banks based in medical schools. So the surgeons who were um, interested in doing mostly um, bone cancer repair came together and put together this foundation that, that now became the Musculoskeletal Transplant Foundation. So that was back in 1987. Uh, that's when I joined. We had about 18 employees then. In the 23 years that I've been there, we've been able to provide over 4.2 million tissue grafts to patients all over the world and have been honored to take care of the tissues donated by over 90,000 different
1: people. Right. Um, I'm going to uh, ask you, Frank, to talk about the beginning of life for the network and also about its statistics and work,
2: please? Um, Certainly. Well, Trillium uh, is a younger organization than MTF. Uh, It was proclaimed in 2000 uh, by the premier of the province at the time and actually came into operation in 2002, and it replaced uh, the predecessor organizations that were more modest in their role. Uh, we have been successful uh, since we were established in increasing uh, both organ and tissue donation in the province. Uh, historically, before Trillium was established, Ontario had, on average, I would say, about 140 organ, solid organ donors a year. Last year, we had 218. That was a record year, so that's a considerable increase. Uh, we've also, uh, in the last several years, become more active in uh, uh, recovering uh, tissue, and uh, we've seen uh, some pretty dramatic increases from a very low base, uh, about a 60% increase in tissue donation in the province uh, over the last three years or so. We're, we're collecting now uh, tissue from about 2,000 donors a year in the province of Ontario.
1: That statistic um, sounds very impressive. How much more is there to do, statistically speaking?
2: Well, there's an enormous amount to do. Uh, having having bragged about our accomplishments, let me tell you what's left to be done, and it's a lot. Uh, we have in the province of Ontario alone today uh, about 1,500 people, uh, over 1,500 people waiting uh, for an organ transplant. And in all of Canada, there are probably over 4,000. Uh, the majority of these would be waiting for a kidney, about 1,100 in Ontario, almost another 400 waiting uh, for liver, and then smaller numbers for heart and lung. These are very sick people. Um, we lose, we say on average one person dies every three days in Ontario waiting for a transplant. Um, so there's a tremendous need uh, for organ donation. Uh, With respect to tissue donation, I would say the need is even greater. We rely uh, to an enormous extent on uh, tissue from the United States. And uh, while that is very high-quality tissue, thanks to the efforts of organizations like MTF, uh, it does come with a price. And uh, uh, Ontario, in contrast to the United States, which is largely self-sufficient, uh, for tissue, uh, Canada is a net importer of tissue.
1: Right, Martha. It's going to be the same question for you. What's what's left to do statistically for you and your organization?
3: Oh, I think there's, there's a great deal. Uh, there's a great deal to be done here. Um, you know, it, in the United States, we have the same problem that Canada has with not having sufficient numbers of people to uh, who can receive. Uh, organ organ transplants. In the United States, we have almost, I think when I looked last week, the number was 109,000 people who are waiting for an organ transplant here in the United States. And our numbers are about 18 people every day in the United States die just waiting for a transplant. So at MTF, although we're not directly involved with organ donation, we're very closely aligned with those who are responsible for making organs available for transplants. And so we're trying to get the word out. All the time, just as Frank said, we would like people to make a decision to be a donor, to register their decision or to tell their family, and all of that works um, to help not only those people who are waiting for organ transplants, but there are also many people that are waiting for a tissue transplant. These aren't people who are going to die waiting for a tissue transplant, but their lives are severely impacted when they don't have a
1: tissue transplant. So we all have more work to do. Right. So the story that you're setting up for me in this episode is, okay, you, you in the U.S., you in Canada need more donors of various things, and families are involved um, in many circumstances, as far as I can tell, and therefore what family caregivers can do to promote, to explain, and to encourage uh, really becomes quite important to you. Now, just very quickly, I want, I want to say that because it's the presumption that we're going to make in all the, the things that we're going to be talking about in the remainder of the show. But I guess you're both on side with what I've just said. Are, are you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. And, now, and
2: I would agree, Gordon.
1: Great, great. Because that sets the scene, scene for us. Now, it's coming up to the time when we are going to take the short break. This is where we have to pay the rent. And this is Dr. Gordon Averley, and my guests are Martha Anderson and Dr. Frank Markel. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please, uh, Please do stay with us. We're going to be back, and we're going to carry on with the examination of what it is that family caregivers can do to help with this very, very important cause. We will be back.
4: talk 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 that's all we do is talk if you'd like to talk call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 that's it that's it voiceamerica.com
3: to perform at your maximum potential you need to have all aspects of your life working properly
4: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Help! You know I need
0: someone. Help! You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to G at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Martha Anderson and Dr. Frank Markell. Our topic is organ and tissue donation and advice for family caregivers. So I want to talk more now about organ and tissue donation. and Starting with Frank, Give us a little bit more information about what organ and tissue donation is, please, who benefits from it, and how you actually measure these benefits.
2: Certainly. Uh, well, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, there are certain, uh, we, call, we talk about solid organs to distinguish them from tissue that can be successfully transplanted. The most common is the kidney uh, followed by the liver, heart uh, lungs, pancreas, small bowel, and uh, for for many people, uh, transplanting uh, an organ will save their life uh, uh, for people who are who need a kidney transplant, there is the option of dialysis but for liver for heart lungs, uh, those options don't exist, and uh, we're talking about saving people 's lives. Uh, that, that's really uh, what the field is about.
1: So what, just a quick supplementary to that. So basically, you measure the benefit by numbers of lives saved. Is that right?
2: We do. We, we count the number of transplants, for example, and, uh, and, and those basically transpl- translate into lives saved.
1: Yeah, okay. Martha, for you. Why should family caregivers be interested in organ and tissue donation?
3: Well, when I think about family caregivers, I'm thinking about those people who are um, perhaps caring for someone who's ill um, in one one instance. And in in that kind of a situation, the the, uh, family caregivers may be having a conversation with the person about what their desires are for their health care. Even if we're talking about healthy people, we're just talking about members of the family. Having those kinds of conversations about living wills, end of life decisions, those kinds of things, um, those are best made. Those are best um, conversations best had when people are healthy, when we're able to think about things that we want without having to be in the in the heat of the moment. So, whether to be an organ and a tissue donor is just one of those decisions that people can make. It doesn't have to be um, anything forced. It can just be a conversation that a family might have over the dinner table, for instance.
1: Right. Now, I'm going to ask, um, really, Frank, to say something about how organ and tissue donation is organized in Canada, but particularly with regard to something that he refers to as the hierarchy of decision-making and where the family caregiver might fit into that. Frank?
2: Well, first of all... um in Canada, as you know, our health care system is largely organized on a provincial basis. So uh, organizations like Trillium have provincial mandates and we're funded by provincial governments. Uh, that's, that's the basic structure. It's provincial. Uh, we practice in, in Ontario, and I would say this is true in all of Canada, uh, by asking the family to consent to donation. Uh, legally, if someone has uh, registered their willingness to be a donor or if they've signed a donor card, that is uh, legal authority for us to proceed to recover organs. But uh, despite having that legal authority, our, our practice is to ask the family and get their consent. And uh, our act, uh, our legal framework, uh, actually establishes a hierarchy for who in the family can make the decision. Uh, top of the hierarchy is the person's spouse followed by uh, children, followed by parents, followed by brothers or sisters, then next of kin. Uh, And we will turn to those family members in that hierarchical order to get their consent. And I think the link here to family caregivers is uh, I would imagine typically a family caregiver is someone reasonably uh, uh, high on that list. You heard Martha talk about uh, caring for her husband recently. so the family caregiver uh, may well find themselves as the person who has to give the consent uh, if they're not at the very top of the hierarchy. But as Martha was saying earlier, they've had a conversation uh, with the loved one. Uh, they may be uh, in a position to give advice to whoever does have to make the decision in terms of what that what the wishes would be of the of the person in question.
1: Right. Right. Martha, it's the same question you know, how you organize things in the U.S. in over its organ and tissue donation and how the family caregiver fits into, you know, this hierarchy of decision-making.
4: Sure. Um,
3: our, our system in the United States is similar but a little bit different than, than that in Canada. Um, what we do now is that we're very focused on what we call first-person consent. We're very focused on encouraging people to register as a donor before they die, Um, And in those cases, we do have the authority to accept that document of gift as as a legal document, and so we do not ask the family for their consent or their authorization to move forward with the donation. Rather, we would inform the family that we know that their loved one had registered to be a donor, that we would like to do everything that we can to honor their wishes, but we do need to get some information from the family. So it's a little bit different. Um, the family certainly is still very involved. Uh, if the person had not registered as a donor, then we have the same system that Canada has. We have a hierarchy. Different states have different hierarchies, but for the most part, it's similar to what what's, uh, what Frank talked about, where the spouse would be the first person, typically, that we would talk to. Um, here in the United States, we have 58 organ procurement organizations that are all federally uh, mandated, and they're the ones that receive all of the notifications of deaths. Here in the United States, every time a death occurs in a hospital, that must be reported to the local organ procurement organization, regardless of the age of the patient or the cause of death. And then the organ procurement organization will make a decision as to whether that person could be an organ donor, a tissue donor, a cornea donor, or a research donor, and in some cases, then the recovery of those tissues would be done by the or, by the OPO or the Organ Procurement Organization. In some cases, it would be done by a tissue bank or an eye bank that works collaboratively, typically with the OPO.
1: Okay. Now we're going to be running out of time on this particular question, so I'm going to have to ask you both just to be relatively short on these two key questions, which are coming up, Frank. How do you promote the idea of organ and tissue donation, and who do you do the promoting to?
2: First of all, a major target group for us are young people, and we have tried to reach them in two ways. One is through the schools. We have an educational program that's presently being taught in every high school in the province of Ontario. Uh, We've also tried to reach youth uh, through advertising on public transit, Subways in Toronto, buses in the rest of the province, and also a website. We have a, a your listeners of any age actually might enjoy this website. It's recycleme, that's all one dot org. Uh, it's designed for young people, but I think anyone would enjoy looking at it.
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Now, th- different question for you, Martha. What concerns do people have about organ and tissue donation, and how do you address those concerns?
3: Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have, there are sort of standard myths that that persist about organ and tissue donation. I think the first is that people say, if I register or I have it on my driver's license, I get taken to the hospital, they won't give me good care. Um, and that's absolutely not the case. The hospital staff is focused on trying to save someone's life. They're not thinking about whether that patient might be a potential donor. Um, the physicians who take care of a patient in the hospital can't be involved with the transplant. So that's number one concern I think people have. Sometimes people think it's against their religion, and we know and do our best to educate people that all the major religions support organ and tissue donation. Some people think that it that that only organs go to wealthy people. And again, we just try to educate people to say that there's a very well-organized system of allocating organs and tissues so that it's not going to a famous person, it's not going to a wealthy person it's going to the person who can best use that um, organ or tissue. The other one that we hear a lot is oh I'm too old. And what we would tell people is that you would be surprised. We know of 80-year-olds who could be organ donors. We know of 100-year-olds who were cornea donors. It really just depends on how how your body is functioning at the time that you die. So you're never well you always say you're never too
1: old to make a difference. Right. Frank, see you. Um, are those concerns that Martha's been talking about the same ones that you hear in Canada, or are they different ones?
2: I would say the list is really identical. I think in Canada, uh, because we are such a, uh, a population of immigrants, particularly in our large cities, um, these concerns about uh, faith are particularly important. And the Trillium, uh, we've reached out to work with the Muslim community, uh, with the Jewish community, with the Catholic community, we've done brochures that have been written by experts in each of these religions, uh, which we uh, circulate. Uh, I think in Canada that's a particular concern, given given the nature of our society.
1: So far as the, I'm going to be fairly straight, and this is a quick one. Some of the words you use, I don't. This is not a criticism are a bit intimidating in the sense that it all sounds, if you don't mind me saying so, a bit gruesome. <laughs> um, do you? How do you address that, that this sounds really rather threatening, whereas, in fact, the benefits are so enormous, and, and it's such a great thing to do, that there's a sort of tension there. Uh, just, Just say a quick word on how you deal with that sort of what some people might call squeamishness. I don't like that term, but that's what they might say. No, that that's
2: commonly raised, and uh, I think there are two things to say. One, you may also say, is, is brutal, but the reality is, and and this is a very important principle, we, we recover organs from people who are dead. Uh, I mean, there is living donation, which is a different uh, topic. Uh, people can donate a kidney and still be alive, but uh, we've been talking till now about donation after death, so Uh, uh, really, that's something we sometimes have family members say to us, you know, our loved one has suffered so much, we don't want them to suffer anymore. Uh, The reality is they're dead when the organs are recovered. And maybe I won't say any more than that. But uh, the other perspective is to focus on the benefit of the transplant to the recipients. And one thing we can say with a great deal of confidence is it brings tremendous comfort To families to know that even in dying their loved one was able to help somebody else it gives comfort in the instant and it gives comfort years later and I think if people focus on that uh, it will help them overcome uh, any concerns uh, they might have about the actual recovery of the organs
1: very good now we're going to stop there because it's time for the break again but we're going to be coming back to these um, fundamental questions um This is Dr. Gordon Allen and my guests are Martha Anderson and Dr. Frank Markell. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please do stay tuned because we will be back.
0: The Marsh Engel Show. Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. that's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for the Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network.
4: Each week, take a visit inside the locker room of your favorite sport with Dez Clark, Paul Fresh Clark, and Lester Scudder-Davis as they bring you sportsman-like conduct. As a current player, Des Clark can bring you inside the sports world like nobody can. His co-hosts represent the fans of the sports world. With both points of view on the table, it becomes an engaging and entertaining program, to say the least. Sportsman-like Conduct can be heard Tuesdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need
0: someone oh! You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Martha Anderson and Dr. Frank Markell. Our topic is organ and tissue donation, advice for family caregivers. Now, I want now to talk about, please, the advice that you both have for family caregivers in particular circumstances. And starting with Martha... Let's think about a family caregiver who's caring for a family member who's nearing the end of life. Might be an adult, might be a child. What are the things you want a family caregiver to know to help her or him talk about organ and tissue donation?
3: I, I think the things that I would want the family caregiver to um, to do or to think about would be what's this? What was this person like when he or she was well? And healthy. <laughs> was this a person who was giving? Was this a person who was, um, helpful? Was this a person who wanted to make a difference in, in the, in the life of others? And that's typically what we, we would hear from families. I used to talk to families all the time and say, tell me about your loved one. Tell me about what he was like when he was young or when he was still active. And if they've never had a conversation about organ and tissue donation, then that would allow us to have a conversation about that, would, knowing that he was a giving person. Do you think this is something that he would be interested in? If they've had that conversation already, then it's a different um, chat that we might have, um, which would be, tell me what you talked about it in in another time of your life. Did you talk about it? Did you think about it? Had he made a decision? Um, so I think that it's uh, it's an opportunity for the caregiver to tell me about their loved one's life and what they think he or she would want to do it's a very personal conversation and one that i um, feel very honored to have been part of
1: in other words it's central to the, the idea of family caregiver isn't it yes. that kind of conversation yes absolutely yeah frank different question. are there any circumstances in which you would advise a family caregiver not to encourage organ and tissue donation, and if there are such circumstances, what are they?
2: You know, it's very hard for me to conceive of a reason for for a caregiver, a family caregiver, not to encourage donation. Uh, I know from the conversations I've had with donor families, the comfort they take. Uh, I also have talked to families who uh, didn't agree to donation, and I know they can often feel remorse, uh, regret. Uh, So, really, I I think, I mean, in my view, I I think everyone should support this very important cause.
1: Right. In other words, it comes back to the myth-busting, in a way, doesn't it, that you were both talking about? That is to say, um, there aren't any reasons to discourage organ and tissue donation. That's what you're saying, I think, isn't it?
2: Um, I I really think so. As Martha said earlier, uh, People may feel their religion doesn't allow them to uh, support this, but we can point, uh, I think in every case, to religious experts who will make clear the support of their religion. Uh, We really take what we call a value-positive approach when we speak to families about donation, and I think the same applies when we're talking to family caregivers.
1: Right. Very good. Martha, um, family caregivers, and we've touched on this already, include parents discussing health topics with their growing children. The children may be free from illness in perfect health, or they may be children with some kind of illness um, which has the possibility of taking away their lives early. Um, what advice do you have for family caregivers about discussions with their growing children in those types of situations specifically?
3: You know, kids are so amazing. They learn really about donation in all sorts of different ways now. And they learn about it at school, they learn about it when they go get their driver's licenses, they learn about it on the internet, um, they learn about it really just from friends. It's it's really all over the place. And I think we hear a lot of times from families whose children taught them about donation. And I think the best thing to do if you're if you're a parent, um, is just to have a conversation with your with your child, um, did you learn about it in school, or I just heard about this on the radio? What do you think about it? Uh, it's a great opportunity to have a conversation with a kid about something that's not, you know, it's not judgmental, it's not threatening, it's not anything. It's just a conversation about what is it that you think, what is it that you would want to do, uh, for a caregiver of a of a very ill child. Um, I think. If this were a child who who was under medical care and who perhaps was in the hospital, if it was a small child, I might might have a conversation first with the healthcare team to see whether there's really any possibility for that child to be a donor or not. I think what you wouldn't want to do is to complicate the conversations that you might be having with a child who's critically ill. If there's no opportunity for that child to donate, based on his or her illness. And so I think I might get that information from professionals first. But if it's it's a possibility, then hopefully you you as a parent taking care of a a critically ill child will have enough time to have conversations about a lot of things, about where their life is taking them. And donation might be one of those.
1: Frank, um, family can give a wondering if a particular health condition of a family member or a particular family history of health problems rules out organ or tissue donation. What advice do you have for family caregivers in that kind of situation? Well,
2: the the fundamental advice we have is uh, to let the health care professionals decide whether uh, their uh, loved one's organs are suitable and and not to uh, decline donation because they think they might not be. Uh, They they would be surprised. Uh, I mean, generally speaking, if someone has cancer, uh, their organs uh, can't be transplanted, but uh, corneas uh, still can be transplanted uh, from uh, people who die of cancer. Just to give you one example, Uh, another example is uh, uh, it is possible to transplant organs in, in many situations from people uh, who have hepatitis. Uh, so, and, and there are some circumstances where we we transplant organs under what we call exceptional distribution. If we know that the recipient is very close to death uh, and will die within a day or so if they don't receive a transplant, uh, the, the the transplant physician will offer the recipient a possibility of an organ that is uh, not typically transplanted. Uh, so uh, our general advice is to let uh, the healthcare professionals make that decision as to whether or not the organ is viable. Sure.
3: And if I could just add one quick thing too, Dr. Athel uh-huh. the other option for people is that if they can't donate for transplant, donating for research is another option.
1: Good point. Good, good point. Now a different type of question for you both. Got to be fairly brief, but here it is: I want to know what the things are about your work. In organ and tissue donation, that make the sun shine for you, Martha. First, please.
3: Oh, it's a wonderful question, and I would I would say there are two things. One is knowing that the donated tissues are going to make a life much better for someone. Someone who was crippled, somebody who was going to have an amputation, someone who had terrible disfiguring burns will have their life improved. And then, for me, maybe even more, it's knowing that donor families um, have a have a way through. A terrible, terrible grief. It gives them, as Frank said earlier, something to hang on to, something and a day when there's nothing positive going on.
1: Yeah,
3: It's a form of hope then, is it? It is, I think. I think it absolutely is. I have, well, if I could tell you one brief story. Yes, please. Twenty-four years ago when I was working at the trauma hospital in Denver on Christmas Day, I was, had been working with a family of a young boy who hit a tree skiing in Colorado, and he became an organ donor. And on Christmas Day, we stood on the helipad and watched his organs fly away. And I still talk to his family every Christmas. It's a connection that you have, and it's a really valuable, incredibly
1: valuable gift that I've been given. Frank Sunshine, for you, what are the things?
2: Well, I'll tell a story about a gentleman who is one of our volunteers who I've become quite close to. Uh, He had had a previous liver transplant uh but uh, in this past year was failing badly um I was uh, very concerned that he might die uh he was uh, uh, really without any kind of vigor he got his transplant this fall and the fellow's like a teenager we can't uh, keep up to him he's up in Thunder Bay and organizing volunteer activities there faster than we can keep pace with him uh when i think about uh how much energy he's putting into his life right now uh that really uh, makes me happy. Yeah,
1: um, I'll have a comment to make about that in a moment um, that relates it to other things I'm hearing on this show. But just to go on about the sun shining for your organisation, presumably that sense of achievement from a day's work is shared among you all. Um, what are the particular things that get the staff of the organization to feel that they've had a good day and the sun is shining for them? Martha?
3: Oh, I think it's, it's hearing stories like what Frank just um, shared with you. Um, we have, uh, we've been developing some YouTube videos that we now can share with our staff that are, that are very short little vignettes of patients and uh, soon-to-be donor families of how their donation and transplant made a difference in their lives. And so when we can really put a face with the story and with the numbers and, and you know, all the day-to-day work that you do, then all of our staff gets very excited about what it is that they're doing.
1: Right. Frank, this comes to a question really about motivation in the sense that, motivation from the sense that you are saving lives. Is that what motivates the staff of, of um, your, your organization?
2: Well, I think very much so, but I, there is a point I'd like to make that I think your listeners might appreciate. Uh, my staff also have tremendous empathy for the donor families, and uh, uh, my staff typically are nurses who've worked in critical care or emergency departments or, or operating rooms. They, they trained as nurses, and a lot of their reason for doing so was because they wanted to care for people and help people. And um, it's very striking uh, how much on our minds is the, uh, the plight of the donor family, even, even when we take pleasure in helping somebody else save their life.
1: Right. So the sun shines also when the family gets relief, hope, the good things that come from all of this. Now, I just want to quickly say, and this is an editorial comment, but I hear the following very much. From the episodes of this show, and that is how people who have been family caregivers or who have benefited from some things that you're talking about then turn around, look over the shoulders, and ask, how can I help bring this to others? And the story, your story, Frank, particularly, but also what Martha has been saying, I think rather emphasizes that. So it fits very well what I'll call the spirit of caregiving and family caregiving, out in the particular community now it is time for us to take the break again this is dr gordon and my guests martha anderson and frank markel are talking about um organ and tissue donation as you've heard from various interesting perspectives you're listening to family cake with Unite on the voice america variety channel
4: we will be back Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1 866 472 5787. And ask our All Star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866
0: 472
4: 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You, know I need someone. you are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to G at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my monam Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
1: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Martha Anderson and Dr. Frank Markell. Our topic is organ and tissue donation and advice for family caregivers. Now, family caregiving is more and more important, not just for families, but also for the healthcare systems and societies the whole in North America and beyond. So let's talk about the ways in which family caregivers can help promote the benefits of organ and tissue donation. Starting with Martha, please. Relative to all the ways in which you promote organ and tissue donation in the U.S., how influential are family caregivers? And have you any examples? And I'm going to lead into the question of what more can be done to help them be more influential? Martha? That's a great
3: question. I think family caregivers can be hugely influential. Um, They can either um, encourage the the members in their family to become donors, to register their desire. If they have a loss in their family and the the person who dies hasn't registered, then they can make that decision. And so um, that makes a huge difference. I think that um family members can support each other and say, You know well, I had never thought about that, but this is something that I would do i 'll give you one uh, example of a really incredible family in Phoenix. Uh, their daughter had always said she wanted to be an organ and a tissue donor, and she carried a piece of paper in her wallet when she was sixteen years old. She was hit by a drunk driver and was um, not able to be an organ donor, and she was taken directly to the morgue. And the mother said, no, 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 she, has to be a, she, she wants to be a donor. We have to do everything we possibly can to make her be a donor. And so we were able to do that. Um, she didn't go directly to the hospital, but we were able to make that all happen for her. And that mother continues to go on and advocate for her daughter. And, and
1: so I think that's really what family members can do. Right. Frank? Talking about the ways in which you promote organ and tissue donation in Canada, again, it's the same question. How influential are family caregivers, and do you have any examples to talk about?
2: Well, again, I would agree with Martha. Family caregivers can be very influential. I I mean, because they're the one who has taken the initiative and taken on the onus of looking after someone in their family, um, they're in a very strategic position to influence uh, decisions within their own family to begin with. But uh, people like this are also the ones who are going to take on a cause, who are going to reach out to their friends, uh, who are going to spread the message uh, uh, to their acquaintances, um, and uh, they can be very, very helpful in this regard.
1: Right. It's a kind of of word-of-mouth advertising for it, isn't it, that you're talking about?
2: It is. Uh, In Ontario, uh, we're going to be moving in the next six months to even more strongly encourage people to register their willingness to be a donor. Uh, They can register when they get their health cards. And uh, uh, our Minister of Health in Ontario uh, put out a Christmas challenge to people uh, when they host Christmas parties to ask people to show their registration as uh, admittance to the party. And uh, I could envision family caregivers uh, uh, working with a network of people they know to encourage them to register.
1: Right. Martha, question for you. What would you like to see done so that family caregivers are increasingly encouraged to promote organ and tissue donation in the U.S.? And is this a job for MTF?
3: Well, you know, I think that shows like this are a wonderful way to to encourage um, organ and tissue donation. What we really have to do is just continue to get the word out. People are bombarded by messages all the time. And this is one message that I think is very, very important. Um, There are always opportunities for people to volunteer. Frank was talking about his employee who started out probably as a volunteer and now just does great things. We have lots and lots of donor families who volunteer, but we have people who are just regular people who volunteer with us. Um, There are people who donate money so that we can put ads on the television or we can put ads on um, billboards and things like that. So there's lots of ways to be involved both nationally and in your own local community. Um, and uh, MTF is very involved with that. We don't do it. Um, we're mostly involved with an organization here in the States called Donate Life America, which tries to be the sort of clearinghouse for the national messaging of um, organ and tissue donation in the United States. And so we try to work through them and provide our support and feed on the street and those kinds of things to make make this sort of a unified message so that people understand that donating
1: is the right thing to do. Right. Frank, making organ donation the right thing to do, to what extent is that um, a task that you see for um, your network?
2: Oh, it's absolutely our task. Uh, That's a very large part of our mandate. And uh, I think because I've been on this show, I now realize that uh, uh, working with family caregivers through their associations can be a very powerful way for us to bring this message.
1: Right. Right now i 'm going to finish our discussion unfortunately at that point, but I would like to say on air that um, if you find um, this method this particular method helpful to you, um, I hope we can work work together and maybe expand it in different ways now okay that 's a little bit of self promotion for this show, but I think that what you 're doing is so profoundly important that Using this facility, if it would be helpful, would be something I personally would very much like to do. So we're moving to the close, unfortunately. And I want to say thank you, first of all, to our listeners. Please do email us with us your, your comments and questions, um, things that you would like maybe to address to uh, Martha and and do- Dr. Markell. And I want to say particularly a thank you to our guests. Um, Because they've not only shared their experiences as organizational people, but also as individuals, and also the messages and the way in which they are so committed to the work you're doing. So to your organization, but especially to you both, I want to wish you every success um, in everything you do, particularly in getting to those statistics, that lie ahead of you that measure the job that lies uh, in the future for you to everybody's benefit now to our as to our next episode we're going to be talking about realtors advising family caregivers about the problems of selling family homes and businesses um, you know when there's um an imminent um, change maybe somebody's dying or this kind of thing so please join us same time same spot on the internet and again i'd like to invite you please to connect with us uh, on any matters of this nature and particularly matters relating to the show that we've just heard on organ and tissue donation and all the benefits that it actually offers so thank you very much see you next time